0: So this week, we are getting back to basics and talking about all the things that we can do nutritionally, physically, psychologically, and even socially that enhance our life and our health through menopause and beyond. And we are speaking with the very wonderful Dr. Michelle Tollefson, who is the co-author along with past guests, Dr. Amy Commander and Dr. Beth Frades of Paving a Woman's Path Through Menopause and Beyond. Michelle is a board-certified lifestyle medicine expert and OBGYN in Denver, Colorado. She is also a professor in the Health Professions Department at Metropolitan State University of Denver, where she created and oversees the Lifestyle Medicine Program, and she is seen as a pioneer in women's health and lifestyle medicine. And she came into Lifestyle Medicine because she was acutely aware that health care is really sick care. As most of you know, doctors aren't really well-versed in nutrition or exercise or a lifestyle. They're schooled in pathology and to treat disease. So you survive, but do you really thrive? And Michelle is 100% about thriving. At age 42, Michelle was diagnosed with grade 3 stage 2 breast cancer, which means it's fast-growing and has spread to nearby tissues. This, despite having no risk factors, having breastfed all three of her children, and eating well and keeping active. So, she shares that journey in this episode and how she used the pillars of lifestyle medicine to get through 16 rounds of chemotherapy and a bilateral mastectomy. It's a powerful story, and I'm honored she shared it with us because she is definitely vibrant and definitely thriving. And she shares how to use lifestyle medicine to pave your path to a healthier body, more peaceful mind, and a more joyful heart wherever you are in your life's journey. It was a great conversation. She is so dynamic, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I will put a link in the show notes to the book because the proceeds of the book go to a related nonprofit organization called Paving the Path to Wellness, and that organization helps people implement the pillars of lifestyle medicine wherever they are, even if they can't reach a doctor, there's some online programming, so I want to support that as well. All right, before we get to it, I invite you to follow us at Feisty Menopause at Instagram and Facebook. You can join our private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group, which has about 20,000 women in it at this point, all helping each other out. Please sign up for my weekly blog where I share the latest research and what it means for you. You can sign up for that at com. And thank you, as always, for the five-star ratings and the great reviews. The show is continuing to grow. We're in our third year. I've got big plans. I appreciate you. Quickly, last thing, I'd like to thank Bonafide for their continued support uh, now that I'm in the pool a lot because I'm training for the 70.3 Ironman, I am using their Sylvester hair and skin support serums to keep everything moisturized despite multiple times a week of chlorine abuse. And I just love them. So thanks, Bonafide, for your continued support. All right, enough of me. Let's hear a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise you end up tossing, turning, punching and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to LagoonSleep.com and take the two-minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the Shrink It and Pink It approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with HEDA's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. HEDDAS has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the ALMA Cruise for your long runs, the ALMA Tempo for training days and the ALMA Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the ALMA Tempos and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of HEDDAS at HEDDAS.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Okay, Michelle, I am so glad that you're here today and that Amy... Uh, keyed me into the book, your paving book, which we will talk about thoroughly in this episode. But first, I would love to talk a bit about your health journey, because in learning about you, I saw that in 2019, correct, I think it was, when you were just 42, you yourself were diagnosed with stage two grade three breast cancer, which I looked up, and it means that the cancer is spread to nearby tissues like the lymph nodes, and it's faster growing. And I would love to hear, you had to have been blindsided. You were young, you're a doctor, you you make healthy living your life's mission. Like, what was that like? Oh, so thank you for the
1: invitation to come on your show and to share this, this information with your audience. So yeah, I, um, I was a healthy 42-year-old. I was thriving. When I was, I'd always, always lived a healthy lifestyle, uh, eating a lot of foods that with ingredients from my dad's garden. And I grew up playing tennis and dancing. So I was physically active, not a lot of stress, got enough sleep, but then I went into medical school and residency and became an obstetrician gynecologist. And that was the time period where I would say my health suffered. I didn't get as much physical activity as I wanted to. Um, I uh, was, I ate, but I ate foods, some foods that were more processed or it was, you know, a hospital cafeteria. So I wasn't eating foods from from my dad's garden. I was very stressed and I didn't get enough sleep as a young physician delivering babies in the middle of the night. But when I got into private practice, I was like, now I want to thrive again. Now I can get back into my routine and I can exercise. I became a wellness coach and started to really embrace the the science of of healthy habit changing and um, started to really focus on my nutrition even more, dug into the science more, realized that the amazing power of fiber of, of plants so I was really as healthy as I, I thought I had ever been. I had no significant risk factors for breast cancer. I breastfed all three of my kids. I did not drink alcohol. Um, I was I was exercising. Like I thought I was doing all the right things. So I had a normal screening mammogram at 41, totally normal. And when uh, my phone gave me a little reminder saying, schedule your mammogram. And I thought, oh, there's differences of opinions. Should it be every year, every two years, different organizations are, are arguing back and forth? And I thought... I'm just going to schedule it. No symptoms, nothing at all. I these fingers have been trained to do clinical breast exams, so I had done breast exams and found lumps on patients before. Felt nothing, no symptoms. Um, Went in for that screening mammogram and then got the the call that changed my life forever where they said, your mammogram doesn't look good. And I'm a physician, so I pulled up the films and I saw a two centimeter mass that was invading my chest wall. So it was hiding behind my nipple and it was going deep into my chest. So I couldn't feel it. Even before they did the biopsy, I said, give me one more chance to see, did I miss something? You know, like kind of like the why me? did I miss something? And I couldn't feel it. It was invading my chest, um, invading my chest wall. It was very aggressive. It hadn't spread to the nearby lymph nodes, but it had spread to that nearby tissue, very uh, aggressive type of cancer. So I fought it with 16 rounds of chemotherapy and a bilateral mastectomy and um, my seventh and hopefully last surgery and I have a reconstructive surgery uh, next week. So it's been, it's been that journey, but that was, it was the most surprising call of my life. When I sat there waiting for my biopsy, I thought, why me? Like, why me? I did the right things. Um, And then I thought, why not me? One in eight women will be diagnosed during their lifetime and so people were i you know it was a the hospital that i used to work in and people were walking by and they said oh my goodness you know michelle i'm so sorry i'm so sorry and every time they said that they felt sorry i felt like i shrunk a little bit more like like that i was this person to be pitied and I knew as I waited for the interventional radiologist to come in, I knew I have to do what I can do to take control of this. So I ordered, I ordered from, got on Amazon while I was waiting there in that room sitting on that table, ordered um, something to grow my own broccoli sprouts because they have sulfurophane, which is good for anybody, beneficial for health. And then I also ordered some brand new pink shoes because I thought, um, I thought if I'm going to beat this, I need to do what I can to move through it and to eat healthy and to do everything in my power. So, so I did, I, I exercised every day during chemotherapy with a physical therapist. i was fortunate that my, where I had chemotherapy down the hall from it, they actually had a physical oncology, physical therapist, and they had all the exercise equipment. So I was, I feel very fortunate that I, I was able to get my chemotherapy and, and do everything in a center that does have that, that prioritizes physical activity. But I know I had a lot of people who asked me, like, I don't think you should be doing that. You know, you, you look very tired. I don't think you should be exercising. What were you doing? Yeah. So I, a variety, I worked with a physical therapist and they really tailored the routine to what I was able to do at each stage. So I did all kind of like the pre, the pre chemo testing. So they knew where I was starting out on my baseline and then they worked with me. So I, I, I forget what it was called. The, the thing where I would sit and you pushed your feet back and forth and your arms back and forth. I forget what it's called um, it'll come to me, but I, but I did that. So I did some days it had to be really gentle exercise. Some days I had to take it easier just because I was weaker. However, I think I went through chemotherapy as well as anyone could have, as far as, as far as my energy, there's a lot of research out there around using physical activity during chemo to help decrease fatigue. So I know it's different for every person, but if you or any friends or anybody is going through a cancer, I would say. Try to get them connected with an oncology physical therapist who can design a physical activity regimen for them. Like that's the most common recommendation I give people. I saw somebody the other day who was who was bald um, at, at a store, and and he mentioned to me that he was going that he was going through a cancer treatment, and he was so weak. And I was like, "Are you exercising?" And he said, "No." And I said you should talk to an oncology physical therapist um, who can help put together a plan because it is, you know, you don't want to be doing too much. And you, of course, you don't want to be doing anything that could jeopardize your health. However, there's that whole field um, that can really be useful to help people move. And as you know, physical activity helps our mood it helps in so many different ways but especially when going through something as traumatic and stressful as a cancer diagnosis you want to be doing everything that you can to support your health and well-being and usually that that is some type of physical activity even if it's not your normal routine or you need to modify it in some way
0: yeah and and you, you opted for the bilateral mastectomy and the autologous fat transfer as the re at the reconstruction, right, which does make for a longer journey, as you've mentioned, you're still on the journey. Um, how has that recovery been? And how did that affect like what you could and couldn't do as far as exercise was concerned? I mean, I know there's a lot of concerns about, um, you know, the mobility and, and, and things that can happen with swelling around those kinds of surgeries. Has, has that been smooth for you? It's been, it's been really smooth and I feel fortunate because sometimes you can do, this is one of the things,
1: like sometimes you can do all of the, like the right things, right? You do all the right things and you can still have problems. So I'm always kind of have that caveat. However, I... Even before my surgeries, I uh, have gone in and seen my physical therapist who's put together a different regimens for me to decrease the chances of lymphoma to increase my mobility with after surgery. I didn't want to have scarring, um, which can can commonly happen. So I was doing those activities before I was doing my physical therapy. I was doing my physical activity and working out and then um, I really stayed in close contact with them. I think sometimes they were like, why is she coming in again? And I was like, I just want to make sure like I want to be on top of this. Like that's who I am. And it was really, really helpful. I feel like it really helped my mood. Sometimes when I felt like I would, did not have very much power over what was happening because I was, it, it gave me that I am doing what I can do. And um, I think it really helped my mood and outlook through the whole, through the whole thing. So I did do the, I decided not to do implants though. I think that that's fine for some women who choose that. I decided to do autologous fat transfer where they take fat from one area of, uh, of the body and then they transfer it up, up into the the breast area. And so that's taken multiple, multiple times where they take a little bit of fat and then they move it up. It's not, um, I would say it's not a major surgery. Like the mastectomy was a major surgery. So like the surgery next week, I'll, I'll be sore for a few days and, um, and, you know, have more relaxing or downtime, but it really isn't I, it's nothing like a, the mastectomy. Um, also, also I have worked with my surgeons. They always give you like the kind of like, you shouldn't exercise for this many days. And I always do the, like. Okay, now let's talk, like, let's talk, like, so so maybe I can't run a marathon on that day. um, But, but what can I do? Because there's, as we all know, there's a whole spectrum. And so um, I'm going to be up walking, you know, after that surgery, I'm going to be walking, I'm going to be doing what I can do. And really communicating with the healthcare provider, because even though I used to do I don't do hysterectomies and, and all that anymore, but I was trained as a gynecologist and and you have some general recommendations about physical activity, but it really needs to be individualized for each person and to have that conversation of, OK, what is OK to do and what is not. And I know these warning signs. When would I need to stop? And so it's it's really having that personalized dialogue with the surgeon, I think is really important. And with like the oncologist, the physical therapist, but putting together, putting together your team. And I feel so lucky to have had that and an oncology dietitian I was able to work with and somebody who specialized in mental health because of the stress was I had problems sleeping. But I think that's one of the things, one of the biggest things after coming out of all of this. To realize how much support I had, like the day that I went and scheduled my appointment with the oncologist, I actually had my biopsy and I knew it looked so bad. They were like, we'll wait for the pathology to come back. And I was like, I know this is bad. So I walked across, I walked across the campus and made an appointment with an oncologist. And I walked and made the appointment in the wellness center with the dietitian and the physical therapist that day. But since being treated, I've realized how unusual that is and how I had so many resources and I feel like it's so wrong that other people don't have that. So that's where I I, I was passionate before. My husband's like, you were passionate before. And now I'm like crazy passionate. Like every person, every person des- deserves this. Every person deserves to know the power of physical activity during their treatment. Like that, that should be, that should just be basic. And kind of like, I feel like it's, you know, as physicians, we talk about, well, it's malpractice not to offer this or that, or tell people like, I also I don't think physicians are intentionally doing it. They're just not very educated, many of them about these, but I feel like we're to the point now where there's enough evidence around healthy eating and around physical activity and, and sleep that we need to be getting this message out there. And, and um, everybody really does deserve it.
0: Yeah. Th- and thank you for doing that. You know, I watched and I'll, I'll link them to the show notes because I thought they were really, really great. Uh, you did a series of videos where you shared shared your journey and you know you had mentioned in a couple of them that even though you were you know a lifestyle medicine doctor that you still learned a couple of things about nutrition and some things to um help you get through the chemotherapy and maybe avoid some of that neuropathy that people can get like what did you pick up there because i know i know for a fact that there are women in the audience right now going through this process yeah
1: yeah so um so i i met with an oncology dietitian i think that's really important too because obviously like my My type of breast cancer isn't the same as everybody's journey. So, connect with your oncologist and with an oncology dietitian. There are RDs with expertise in that area. Uh, Most of what I did and what I recommend to to others is to follow the American Institute for Cancer Research, the AICR, um, great website, as well as the World Cancer Research Fund. So they have like a top, they have a top 10. And one of them, of course, is to be physically active, right? Move, move, move. Um, But then a lot of them are about nutrition. So about eating, um, eating a lot of plants. We don't get very much fiber. 95% of Americans are fiber deficient. The recommendation is that we're, we're eating about 20, 22 ish or so grams of fiber a day. But on average, most American women are, are much, much below that. And so, about 12. Yes. Yep. Very low. And so in and the American Institute for Cancer Research actually recommends 30 grams a day. Now, if you're at 12 right now, don't jump all the way up do 30, or you will have GI distress, but to gradually move in that direction. So having a really high fiber diet, and we know fiber comes from plants. So that means a very plant predominant or a very plant forward way of eating also minimizing or avoiding ultra processed foods. So the sodas and you have healthy listeners anyway, they're not, I don't think any of them have the, the chips and soda in front of them right now. So, but really trying to limit or avoid ultra processed foods to eat foods that look more like they did when they came from the ground. So a lot of whole, a lot of whole foods or a lot of minimally processed foods. Um, so yeah, just following those, those basic principles to um, I don't eat any, I don't eat meat. um, So avoiding ultra processed meats, which we know have an increased risk of cancer and then minimizing the recommendation from the AICR is to, to minimize or, or avoid um, red meat. And then to avoid ultra processed or to avoid processed meat, like lunch meats and and hot dogs. Um, So, yeah, so I, I follow a whole food plant predominant way of eating and did before. And it was exciting to realize that it's even that the research aligned it. It wasn't like I started digging into this research around cancer and was like, oh my goodness, there's something totally new. Like it was like, okay, yes, still physical activity is still important. It is for brain health and heart health. It's good for decreasing the risk of cancer. And if you do get it and you're exercising in an appropriate way, it's um, beneficial as a survivor. And then the same thing with nutrition. It's the same things that we did before that are good for brain health and for bone health and cardiovascular health and decreasing the risk of stroke are beneficial for decreasing the risk of cancer. And then if you do get it to help with survivorship as well, um, for neuropathy, neuropathy is it's the, the main symptom that I was left with. And I knew that that was a risk of, I had don- dose dense chemotherapy because of how aggressive mine was. So I knew that there was a very good chance of that. And that's kind of my only lingering, lingering, um, Uh, side effect from the chemotherapy. So I did, they like had cooling gloves and, and like booties that I wore that actually, that obviously decreased the the temperature um, may help with neuropathy. I'm actually not sure what the latest research shows. I know it was kind of the literature, uh, there wasn't great literature on it even a few years ago. So um neuropathy is a it's a hard one but i would just say always ask about what the latest research is um you have a right to ask about like what is the latest research on my type of cancer or my condition or whatever or my family history of this or or i'm i'm going to take a drug with these different side effects do you know is there any research on anything i can do to decrease the risk of it and then i um have done and continue to do acupuncture i was just gonna ask that Yeah. For neuropathy. So I do that. I sometimes I get busy and I don't do it as much as I should, but there's some great uh, research out there on neuropathy and on acupuncture. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I'm, I'm of the mindset that everyone deserves to know all of their options. And then we are intelligent enough as women that we can make that decision. We know ourselves, but I feel like we should have all of the education when it comes to complementary medicine, tell me the evidence, right? And even if there's not like really strong evidence, if I want to do something and there's not a big risk, like I want to know all of that information so that I can make an evidence based decision for me and for my health. And so that's really that, that dialogue and finding the right providers.
0: That's all excellent. And and thank you for sharing that. I have to I have to share with you that as you know that you came to my radar through Dr. Amy Commander, who I've also had on the show. And I shared with her when we were off the air, which I've told everybody about on the air, um that I had had a mammogram around 40 and I got they called and might have just been shy of 40 and I they called me back in but for, was for insurance reasons like during the visit. So I had it done I went to the, I was getting dressed and the woman pokes her head and she's like, can you come back? And I was like, my world just like stopped. Right. And I went back and I'm on the, on the couch or the chair and, you know, she's doing a manual exam, a physical exam. And she's like, oh, I can feel your heart pounding out of your chest. I'm only doing this for insurance reasons, but some, right. But something deep went into me, and I have dense breasts, and I just got, I just got scared. And like ten years went by, and I hadn't gone, and hadn't, and every year I'd be like, okay, this is the year, and I did that show with Amy, and I shared it with her, and she was so adamant. She's like, here's my cell number, here is this, do this. Like, okay, I'll make the appointment. I made the appointment, and I looked you up, and I saw your story, and I have to be honest, I was like, shit, I was like, that's what I'm afraid of, like that's what I'm afraid of, but I like I had to I had to just have this come to Jesus with myself I'm like if you have cancer you have cancer right like if you not going is not going to make you not have cancer I just kept telling myself that I'm like whatever happens you're going to deal with it but like you it you can't just stick your head in the sand and per, like it won't go away so I went and everything was fine but thank Ooh. you for sharing yes thank you for sharing that
1: of course that. Of course. And that's where it, like it is. It is scary. When I go back to get my, I get tumor markers drawn every three months and I get anxious about those. Um, they, so far, everything has been normal. Um, but it does, it, it makes me anxious with those. And I know a lot of people have anxiety around mammograms. And so I always just try to say, it's, it's okay to be nervous. If you need to bring somebody along with you, like do what you need to do to get through it. And, um, and remind yourself that if there is a problem, you're already, your your listeners are already active and, and healthy. So you want able to be able to do everything that you can do to deal with it as early as possible uh, so that, so that you can continue to, to thrive afterwards. Yeah. So you, 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 you deserve it. And I'm so glad that you win. I'm, I'm so glad. And that everything was normal too. Right.
0: And now like now I'm, I'm not so like, as time went by, I just got more and more crazy. Like I got more like my, my mind, went so catastrophic you know it's just like by the time I was going I had gone to all the terrible places in my head but now I'm just like so much calmer about it yes. so oh, yeah that's I great. yeah I so I appreciate I'm it's funny though I mean I, I got a message from a woman that day because I actually when I when I talked about it on the show I started crying um but I got a I got a email from a woman immediately she said it took me three times to get through the episode itself I'm so nervous about all this stuff and you know so it was it was heartwarming it was good to because it is it's something that uh it's it's interesting because there's a lot of things that kill us that we don't get as scared about like let's say heart disease (laughs) you know but it's a we have an emotional connection to this one that I think really really hits women
1: We do. And also, I think it's, it's important to remember too, like what is, uh, what's good about, I guess, breast cancer is that there is tons of research. And so even what used to be a breast, like a breast cancer diagnosis 10 years ago is different than even a breast cancer diagnosis now, and probably will be different from the one that happens in a few years. So we're learning so much, so much about it. And people are living longer and thriving after, after I was done, it was like, you can ring the bell and you're a breast cancer survivor. And I was like, Oh, like I did not work this hard to be a survivor. Like I am more than a survivor. I want to thrive and I'm going to do everything in my power to move from where I am now. I want to get back where I feel even stronger than before. And I want to like, I want to work on my energy. And so surviving, I didn't like that survivor word, um, the thriving after breast cancer, regardless, like we all have our limitations. We all have our journeys and our stories and our trials. I have neuropathy and I'm thriving, dealing with neuropathy. Do I wish it were gone? Of course, but we can thrive. Um, we can do everything that we can to optimize and flourish and be as, as healthy as possible despite our limitations or what life may have thrown at us.
0: Amen to that. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tafosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put, they have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And. They just look freaking rad. So head on over to tefosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like feisty menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched chain amino acids. Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably-priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. So let's talk about your book. Um... (laughs) Longtime listeners will recall that I had a show on lifestyle medicine, which I think, you know, probably Dr. Melissa uh, Sunderman. I sure do. She's amazing. Yeah, she was really great. Uh, But that was a while ago. So let's define that as a refresher. Like, how do you define lifestyle medicine and how did you connect with it? Of
1: course. So lifestyle medicine is the use of healthy lifestyle behaviors to prevent to treat and sometimes reverse chronic disease. So that includes, we call them the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. So nutrition, eating like a lot of whole foods, eating a lot of plants, right? So a whole food plant predominant type of diet um, getting enough physical activity, which your, your listeners are already experts with, but, but as, as I'm sure your listeners know too, most of the population is way too sedentary. Even the people that do exercise during the day or do get in enough, like aerobic activity often sit at their zoom, you know, or at their computers for I've hours. i about that. So it's so not yes, a, good for you. No. So I'm a big fan of like exercise snacks and I'll like stand up in between zoom meetings and do, you know, for, I'm, I'm 45 now. So I'll do 45 jumping jacks and sit back down. Um, but so physical activity, it's managing stress, so stress resilience. Sleep, prioritizing sleep, sleep is so important and we do not give it enough credit, but getting at least seven hours of good sleep a night, Um, social connections, a lot of science around that too. It's not just foo-foo like, oh, you know, we we need friends. We really are meant to be social, social beings. And it really does help our physical and emotional, mental well being when we're connected with others. Not that we need a million likes or a million friends, but to have a, a few of those close connections that we can call on when things get rough. And then avoiding addictive and risky substances. So we're talking about tobacco and yeah, those types of substances. So those are the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. And it's not different from what your grandmother probably taught you. It's not different from, um, you know, it's not like a special supplement or a special blood test. Like this is all really foundational public health and it's in the literature. It's just that lifestyle medicine is, is kind of elevating it. I think that for too long, these healthy lifestyle behaviors have kind of been put to the side, like there is surgery and there are medications. And that's what I was trained as an OB-GYN and nobody ever talked about um, nutrition or exercise and PMS. Nobody ever talked about nutrition and exercise and stress and sleep and menopause symptoms. I sure learned about hormone replacement therapy, which I believe is appropriate for some women if they know the risks and the benefits, but it's like all the lifestyle things. Maybe I saw an article here or there, but it definitely wasn't prioritized. Whereas, those of us who are in the lifestyle medicine field are saying we need to we need to embrace this literature. We need more literature and we need to get that information out there. So it's fine to do the conventional medicine things, too. But can we at least make a healthy lifestyle behavior the foundation of all health and health care? Because right now our, our health care system is more of a sick care system where we're very reactive and where we we treat disease. But we don't do very much as far as preventing it in the first place. And so lifestyle medicine is saying that we need to elevate those healthy lifestyle behaviors because there, it may be what our grandma and our great grandma, you know, told us as far as eating, eat your fruits and vegetables and get your exercise and get enough sleep and, and make friends, be nice. Um, but there's tons of research to back it, to back it up and really everyone, everyone deserves to have that knowledge. And then also to have the support to make those healthy lifestyle changes.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, like a light bulb just went off when you're talking about that, because I'll confess, like, I've looked at the light, you know, like, you want to had Dr. Sunderman on, I was just like, okay, but like, don't we all sort of know this? And, but, but while you're talking, it occurs to me that that it's like only 7% of residents in one of these surveys even got menopause training and nutrition training is not a big part of medical school. And when you're talking about medicine and what your doctors are recommending specifically, like I remember my pediatrician, he knew, he knew what I did for a living. And he said, bring me any studies you find on like kids. And like, he, he would have me feeding him stuff. He's like, cause we don't get that. And he was very interested in having that knowledge because he knew inherently that it was important. Yeah.
1: Yes. So so years ago, um, so maybe like 12 to 13, 14 years ago or so, I was a director of women's wellness education and got connected with Dr. Eddie Phillips, who was with the Harvard Institute of Lifestyle Medicine, became guest faculty for them. And I was like, You're doing what I think is amazing. I joined the American College of Lifestyle Medicine when it was really, really small. Now I'm the secretary, I'm on the executive board of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. We have over 9,000 members. So it's, it's. I feel like it's as exciting of a time as there's ever been within healthcare because I do, I feel like because of patients saying, we need this, like we're not just going to, you know, Don't just put my exercise to the side. Don't just put my nutrition to the side. Like we want this from our healthcare providers. We don't just want sick care, Um, but it's, it's coming to the forefront. So the American college of life has exploded as far as growth. We have health systems. My health system in Colorado recently joined, um, joined the, the, to be one of the health system councils. So there's, there's businesses, there's corporate roundtable. Like it's just this movement is on fire. And I think Unfortunately, I think things had to get so bad that we were like, oh my gosh, like we're spending this much money and, you know, this is obesity and type two diabetes and all of these different things. Um, And even if we're not experiencing ourselves, we know others who are suffering with these things and they're not thriving. And we, once again, we deserve to thrive. Uh, and to be to have that knowledge, and then to have that to have that support. So that's how I got connected with lifestyle medicine. That so, Dr. Beth Frady is one of the co-authors of the book, and I were two of the first physicians trained as wellness coaches over a decade ago. So the science of behavior change. We know that behavior change is hard. Um, it's you know, it's not like you just snap your fingers and like, okay, I'm struggled with sleep, and now all of a sudden I'm going to have no problem with it, or or to start eating something different. It take behavior change is hard. So the science of behavior change is very important. Um, And then moving along that journey, just with the lifestyle medicine community, really advocating for healthy lifestyle behavior change for more research for more advocacy for getting this into more medical schools and residencies and, um, you know, working on all different levels, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine does does so much so I feel fortunate to be part of of that organization. And then my two co-authors for, for the book, Dr. Amy Commander, who is, who is amazing, a a dear friend and colleague. So she uh, is a co-author of the general paving workbook and then the uh, paving a woman's path through menopause and beyond book, as well as Dr. Beth Brady's, who's a physiatrist from Harvard. She's also the president, current president of the American college of lifestyle medicine. And Dr. Amy Commander is on the board the American College of Lifestyle Medicine as well. But Dr. Beth Brady started the program. She's a physiatrist, started out of of Harvard over a decade ago, and then it's been modified for breast cancer survivors. So I connected with Dr. Amy Commander because when I finished my treatment, uh, when I finished chemotherapy on Valentine's Day of 2020, I was like, I need to get stronger. What else can I be doing to, you know, to be, to thrive again? Because I was weaker. I exercised, but I still I had more fatigue, I had gone immediately through menopause, I was not menopausal, but chemotherapy, then I had my ovaries removed because of the type of cancer it was. And now I'm on drugs that um, that block how much estrogen I have. And so I went into menopause immediately. And um, and so it's, even as some of the side effects of chemotherapy went away, I had I had some of the menopause um, side effects, and so I, I did a program that was not very supportive of well being. It was actually really depressing. I, I joined joined this program, and I I went one time and thought this is not the right program for me. It's making me feel worse. I need to do my own wellness thing. And um, so I told my my dear friend, um, Dr. Beth Brady's about it. And she said, you need to join Amy's group. The pandemic was just getting started. And so this little lining of that was that they went from in-person to online paving the path to wellness groups. And so I joined Amy's group and I, I had to admit, I thought, well, I would do anything Beth recommended because she's amazing. And I thought, well, this will be good to meet Dr. Amy Commander, who's an expert in the field of oncology, lifestyle medicine. Um, but I thought I really I know a lot about nutrition and breast cancer, survivorship and exercise. so I didn't really think I had a lot to get out of it. I was surprised. So the Paving the path to Wellness program is 12 steps and it's about the the paving pillars, the general ones I mentioned, nutrition, exercise, stress, sleep, social connection, but then it's more, it's also purpose and attitude and variety, investigating what works best for us, energy, really focusing on energy management and what gives you energy. So, so I went through that program and was, um, was so impressed with the content and what went beyond lifestyle medicine that I hadn't really dug into the science around purpose and how that helps our health. I hadn't really dug into the science around attitude uh, but that was was really meaningful. And so it was after that, after that session finished that Dr. Frady's um, Dr. Commander and I worked on the Paving the Path to Wellness workbook and then the menopause book. And um, and now it's its own nonprofit still being offered by them, of course, within the Harvard Health System hospitals. But it's its own nonprofit organization so that we can train other trainers because there's so much demand for the Paving the Path to Wellness program that we want to train others and really, once again, work on getting the resources, getting the education, the resources out to everyone, because everyone deserves to thrive. Everyone deserves to have this, this knowledge. It shouldn't be just those people who know how to look through the studies and, and um, yeah, have, have access to that. It really needs to be for everyone.
0: That's awesome. And, and so the, so the one I have is, is menopause related and which is apt for the show. And it's, it's interesting as you're talking uh, I noticed immediately that the book is very journal-centric. I mean, there's a lot of places where, you, you know, it's it's interactive. You're supposed to be writing things down. And, and I'm wondering if the genesis of that is some of this behavior change that you're talking about that is so difficult. It really
1: is. So yes, it, within the, the original paving the path to wellness workbook is like the general one and it's over 400 pages, but it has a lot. So obviously a lot of content in the 400 pages, but then also places to, to reflect, to, to be mindful of, you know, how much, how much fiber are you getting? I always recommend like do a fiber diary, know where you're starting so that you can then gradually wake your, work your way up. Or I'm very into like tracking and, and, you know, how are, how are you doing? And then, um, or like sleep, like, let's be mindful. How do you feel or investigate? Like, right, you're investigating yourself. You're the investigator and the investigatee. So so when I do get a full night's sleep or when I do eat these things, how does that impact my energy? So being mindful of that. And so that journaling process, um, it can help with decreasing stress. It helps with being more aware. There's so many different things going on in our environment that we're often, it's easy to not be aware of how our lifestyle decisions are impacting our health, both on a physical level, on a mental and emotional level. So um so yeah that that journaling process but that really that kind of diving into um diving into these different areas and then being mindful and tracking, tracking different symptoms or tracking or putting together a plan also plan, like how do we move forward? So which of, you know, we look at all these different things with, with purpose, then what do you want to work on? Or what is it that you want to investigate and putting together a real actionable plan? Because it's great to read about something, but if it doesn't actually change somebody's life for the better, then it's like, well, that was a nice, that was a nice little book, but I would say that it was, was a waste of time. And so, so all three of us, and um and Val Tibnan, she's the fourth one of us on the on the executive board of the Paving the Path to Wellness Nonprofit Organization. All of us really wanted books that would transform lives. Like our, our mission is really to help, like really, really, truly, our mission is to help people thrive um with a, a healthier body. Dr. Beth Freddy says a healthier body, a more peaceful mind, and a more joyful heart. So that's that's our goal. All the all the proceeds from both books all go to the nonprofit organization, not to us. We really just want yeah, we really just want to get this message out there. So that's what we're so appreciative of, of opportunities like this to share that, that information with your listeners and with you.
0: Oh, that's great. I didn't, I didn't catch that. So that's, that's really nice. That's nice to know. I, I Let's, let's talk about some of these pillars and how they do affect, you know, within the book. Um, I mean, nutrition is a big one, but in your, if you had to sort of give a bird's eye view of how nutrition impacts menopausal symptoms, what would, what would you say?
1: Sure, sure. So I think women who women who eat a healthy diet usually have fewer menopausal symptoms. So, so I think um, it's good for menopausal symptoms, right for the hot flashes for night sweats, but it's good for many other aspects of of menopause too, like the brain fog and energy and uh bone health, which we need to be more cognizant of as we age. So the gut microbiome, the trillions of bacteria that live, if folks and bacteria that live in the gut are really, really important throughout our life, but it becomes even more important as we age. So with the the, the types, the bacteria that actually modulate and um and work with estrogen are called the estrobolome. And so we need to be even more careful about nourishing our gut microbiome as we age and go through menopause because of those hormonal changes. So eating a lot of fiber or working up to, to eating um, adequate fiber, eating a variety of phytonutrients. So eating the rainbow, eating a diverse amount of plants. I love um, the Fiber Fueled book. I just finished listening to that on the audiobook after hearing the author, whose name I'm reading, speak at the conference. But I love he talks about the importance of plant diversity, uh, so so a diverse rainbow. Um, but getting getting phytoestrogens. I'm a fan of soy, even for breast cancer survivors. That's an old myth. Um, we know that it's not true that you should avoid whole or minimally processed soy products. So I try to get in a, a serving or two every day of whole or minimally processed soy. And there's research out there showing that whole and minimally processed soy. So I'm not a fan of the soy isolates and supplements. Those interact with receptors in different ways. So if somebody's working with their doctor and then that's, you know, then that's okay. But otherwise I recommend that people really try to get the whole or minimally processed soy. It decreases hot flashes and night sweats and may help with muscle pain. And helps with vascular function and may help with vaginal lubrication and blood flow too. Eating a low, a low fat diet that's predominantly plant based is beneficial too. Uh, we know that with like hot flashes and night sweats that get staying well hydrated, because even a little mild dehydration can trigger hot flashes and night sweats for people avoiding alcohol, caffeine, hot and hot beverages and spicy food. If that's a trigger for, for some women, omega three fatty acids. So I love flaxseed, like the ground flaxseed and nuts for that. Um, and then, of course, avoiding the sugar cycle because if you eat like ultra-processed foods or things with added sugar—not talking about fruit here—you can have that big. You go up, your blood sugar goes up, and then it comes crashing down, which can often which can often trigger symptoms. And then I think one of the things with menopause I hear from so many women is I'm struggling with fatigue or I'm struggling with my mood, and that's that goes along with the hormonal changes as well. And so. What we eat has a significant impact on our mental health, on our brain health, on decreasing our risk of dementia, but also really supporting our mood. We need our gut bacteria to be producing short chain fatty acids and working with our brain um, in order to keep our to help us stay sharp in order to really support our mood. And so that's incredibly important. We know we need. Pigmented carotenoids like lutein and zeaxanthin, which are some neuro pigments in the brain and in the retina, and we see lower levels in women, even though we eat more of it. So it's really important to get our to get our vegetables. Those fruits and vegetables, those are are found in leafy greens. I'm a big fan of smoothies, not of just juicing because you take away the fiber. But I'm a big fan of smoothies. So like every day, I'll have a kale. Most days, I'll have a kale. Um, blue. I t- toss in some blueberries. Blueberries are great for brain health. All the fruits are good. It's good to have a variety, but berries are really great. I put in some flaxseed. I use some soy milk. Um, so throw in some, you know, whatever, whatever you have around. So I'm a fan of smoothies, really trying to get in those, those leafy greens and those vegetables. So, um, it decreases the risk of, of cancer with that whole food plant predominant way of eating. It's, it's beneficial for bone health and, um, and just, just all around health. So nutrition is a big, it's a big area. I go into it in further depth in the, In the book, but nutrition is, is an area. I think we've made things so complicated. There's so much research out there that we, we have made things complicated. So I think it's trying to get back to basics and figure out what we can do to increase plants and to decrease less processed food. And most people can really benefit from that message of just looking, how can I incorporate a diversity of plants and, um, and nourish myself, really nourish myself. Is this bite of food that I'm taking, is the meal that I'm creating, is it going to nourish me? Is it going to lead me toward health? Or is it doing nothing to support my health and maybe leading me toward disease?
0: Right, right. And I like how, you know, to take it back to what we talked about before, I mean, if you do actually start journaling some of this stuff, you can start connecting dots, right?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. How do I feel? How do I feel when I, yeah, how do I feel when I eat a whole food plant predominant type of type of diet? How do I feel when I nourish myself in that way? And where I don't um, have those sugar spikes, and then being mindful when you do when you do have something that causes your blood sugar to spike and then drop, how does that make you feel? Uh, Because often we're so busy doing other things, we may not even connect those dots. So yes, being mindful and connecting those dots is really powerful. I'm not a fan of of saying like some foods are bad, or you can never have them. Because I think that just makes us like obsess about wanting them more. But trying to focus on how can i nourish myself how can i really try to get in an abundance of healthy foods that that um yeah that nourish my gut microbiome that keep my gut bacteria healthy and happy my estrobolum um that support through menopause and then far far beyond
0: and then what about i mean sleep is such a big pillar and we know that menopause can sort of send a wrecking ball into it so you know uh are there lifestyle medicine specific suggestions
1: Yes. So, so sleep, you're right. Sleep often does become disrupted during menopause with night sweats and just that the hormonal changes. So we know that, um, that, that prioritizing sleep becomes even more important people. There's a myth that you need less sleep as you age and you don't, it's still as important to try to get at least seven to eight hours of quality, high quality um, sleep every night. And so prior. Amortizing sleep becomes, I would say, even more important when you go into go into menopause. We now know that the brain does a there's a tremendous amount of work that goes on in the brain during sleep. The brain is super active. And I think, oh, everything I have goes to sleep. And no, the brain is super active at night. We know that's when the majority of neuronal like the neuron, the waste products are cleared, including amyloid, which is associated with um, with dementia. that's removed during sleep. And we know that people who suffer from um, insufficient sleep quality or quantity have an increased risk of dementia. So first of all, just for brain health, we need to be optimizing sleep. And then also for mood, you can see the research showing that if you are sleep deprived, your mood just plummets, your risk of, of um, some different mental illnesses or having symptoms associated with those goes up, not to mention the dangers of drowsy driving. So sleep, we knew it was we knew it was important before, but now we know it on a whole, on a whole new level. We also know that getting adequate sleep helps us be better at managing stress it improves our relationships we see relationships suffer when you look at the research around getting inadequate sleep we also know that adequate sleep helps with memory and um, and creativity so many different reasons to prioritize to prioritize sleep we also see that so as you mentioned it's real common that women struggle so 35 to 60 percent of postmenopausal women struggle with sleep so know that you're not alone if you struggle more with sleep after menopause I know I'm I do. Um, I used to not struggle with sleep at all in it. And it has become more difficult since going through menopause. But I know so much about the benefit of sleep. It strengthens the immune system. It helps recover faster from injury, decreases pain sensitivity. It helps give me energy. So all of those different things. So I know how important it is. And so I am adamant now. I don't stay at parties too late. Um, I We prioritize sleep in my house and my family and we will come home. And I'm in bed and make sure that I get my seven hours of sleep. It's common for many women after menopause to get up and have to use the restroom or urinate once during the night. Um, and so so some, there's some, certain things that sometimes happen that we we can't avoid that sleep becomes sometimes more difficult, but we can do everything that we can to prioritize sleep and to put into place good sleep hygiene. So good, good behavior. So getting outside, if you can get outside and do your physical activity in the morning, get some natural sunlight. Awesome. And then as we get closer to bedtime, and this isn't just for menopause, but really trying to decrease our screen usage, or if you have your phone, putting it up with the the night filter, really trying to minimize stimulation. I turn down the lights in my house. So around seven o'clock or so at night, all the lights get dimmer. I'll go and I'll flip some of the light switches on trying to kind of set that mood or let our body know it's, it's time to prepare for sleep, helping with the circadian rhythm and the melatonin, Um, trying not to eat a large meal or to eat late close to bedtime. So really trying to stop eating after, after dinner, after around seven o'clock or so, and really give yourself that, that break until the next morning. There's um, anything that, that helps. So, If you take like a warm shower or a warm bath or even just putting like warm, warm mitts or or cozy warm socks can help with that, that temperature change with your body also is a trigger for sleep. Dr. Beth Brady's likes to say to keep your bedroom like a cave, so a little cool and very dark and very quiet. And if you need to use a mask or if you need to use blackout shades or if you need to have a white noise machine or earplugs, like do what you need to do to really try to make it an environment that's conducive for sleep and then keep the bed for sleep and sex so try not to 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 um to watch tv or to look at your phone like try to keep as much as you can screens out of the out of the bedroom so that you really associate your bed with sleep and then if you're struggling with sleep at all go see somebody who's has expertise in the area or ask for a referral a lot of people think the only thing that can be done are sleeping medications. And I do believe that those have a role in certain circumstances, but there's so much that can be done as far as cognitive behavioral therapy or CBTI for insomnia that can be done with sleep hygiene. So there's a lot that can be done. Sometimes somebody may have sleep apnea or other conditions where they can truly benefit from, um, from treatment. So don't struggle. Like, I don't think that anyone should struggle in silence. I, if you're worrying about something, if you're struggling with something, reach out and ask for help and don't assume just because you addressed it once years ago with someone or because somebody said oh there's nothing we can do there's new research coming out all the time so go see someone else go to a teaching hospital ask for another referral any good doctor should not feel threatened by you seeing somebody else or asking for a second opinion that is that as even before i had my surgeries with my um with my with my reconstructive surgery my initial surgery i went and saw multiple surgeons so ask for second opinions, go and ask for help. If you're struggling, ask for help, ask for referrals. If your doctor doesn't, if that's not an area of expertise, say, can you investigate who could help me?
0: Yeah, I know. It's great advice. And we've done, sleep comes up a lot in the show as you might might imagine. Um, Dr. Andrea Matsumara was the latest woman I had talking about sleep. And she mentioned, which I had no idea about that sleep apnea is very underdiagnosed in, in, in women. women. Yeah. And it's, it's incredibly disruptive and they don't show the same symptomology of it often as men do and it gets missed. So it is a hundred percent worth it. If you are having really fragmented, broken sleep to get that checked out.
1: Yes, or you feel like you're going to sleep at night and then you wake up and you still feel really fatigued. Go get it. Yeah. Go get it checked out.
0: Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, I had on a gerontologist who talked about the, the importance of social connections and she had tons of research about that, you know, even, even in people who you would otherwise clinically probably deem unhealthy or they have high cholesterol, whatever, like their social relationships almost override a lot of that stuff when it comes to longevity. You know, I mean, that it's just like having good relationships is, I think, incredibly underrated.
1: I agree. Yeah, we see that in the Blue Zones research, too, with the, the people who are like the five areas in the world where people are living the longest, the healthiest. So that's Loma Linda, California, Sardinia, Italy, uh, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica in um, in Greece, Okinawa, Japan. But they have deep social connections with family, with a faith community, often um, with friends. And so once again, it's not that they need a million friends, but they have some strong connections. And so we know that it that it helps longevity in those communities. We also know that increased connection, that it decreases dementia. Even if we look at like how much social connection somebody had in their 50s or 60s, we see that the risk of dementia, even like 20 to 30 years down the road, decreases. And as contact frequency increases, that cognitive reserve, so kind of like how, how well our brain is doing, increases. Um, We also know that we also know that that support groups or being in communities of people who understand what you're going through. So whether that's menopause or like being in communities with other people who are very focused on physical activity, like all of that is so beneficial. When you have that kind of common thread of of what unites us, it can um, it can really support physical and emotional health and well-being. There's even Researcher, there was research looking at about 55 or or 60,000 postmenopausal women for four years. And they saw that the women who were the most socially isolated or who were the most lonely were about 30% more likely to have a heart attack, a stroke or cardiovascular related death in those four years. So some really powerful information showing us the importance of connection as uh, after we've gone through menopause throughout life, but especially after we go through menopause it's especially important. I think that's one of the things with menopause is that it's not that healthy eating wasn't important before or that exercise wasn't important before, or that stress resilience wasn't for or sleep. Those have all been important, I would say, throughout life. However, in menopause, because of the hormonal changes, it becomes even more important. And so if there ever is a time to say, I am really going to look at all of these pillars and my overall whole health and well-being, it's during that menopause transition or at any time after. It is never too late. There's tons of research done showing people making changes in in their nutrition or, or the ways they sleep and and about seeing those benefits often when people really like focus on like, I'm going to focus on this area, they see tremendous benefits, then they want to do things in other areas. We see it with exercise too. people who, who are sedentary and then become physically fit like, oh, like, you know, they often care about nutrition. I'm sure you see this with your listeners about the other areas as well. So
0: yeah, no, that's, that's a really, that's a really great point. We we talk about that a lot. I mean, I, I've gone to, you know, the North American Menopause Society annual meeting and, and stay in the research and it really is this. This window of time where it is important to, to to zone in on this, on these pillars really that you're talking about, because it's sort of setting the stage for the next half, you know, easily half of your life, right? Yes, yes. And it's
1: that health span. It's thriving. It's wanting to live like they do in the blue zones, right? It's not like, you know, when we envision, I think all of us, when we envision ourselves years down the road, we don't envision ourselves we want to be doing yoga at the age of 90. Uh, We want to be um, living independently. We want to be thriving and flourishing uh, late into life. And so it's that not just our lifespan, but it's also that health span. How can we live long, healthy lives? Does it mean that we don't have a higher risk of breast cancer recurrence or of of neuropathy? No, it doesn't mean life is perfect, but we want to be thriving as much as we can for, for as long as
0: possible. Is there anything, I mean, this has all been wonderful and great, and we'll put links to all of this in the show notes. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to leave like the perimenopausal or the postmenopausal women with? Yes. So just,
1: I think that there's hope. There's so much that you can do. Often people struggle with um, struggle with energy or with fatigue or with you know, hot flashes or whatever it is. And I would just say, don't struggle in silence, reach out and get connected and then try these things. And so it's not a guarantee that working on your sleep is going to help your hot flashes and night sweats. It may not. Um, there's, but there's a lot of other good the side effects and benefits from working on your sleep too. And so I think, I think looking at those lifestyle pillars, and then, um, anybody who's interested to learn more about the paving the path to wellness nonprofit organization, you can go to pavingwellness.org um, and like I said, there's, there's so much demand that, that, um, Dr. Beth Frazier, Dr. Amy Commander and, and I, we can't teach the classes for everyone because it's like a small group. So it's usually in a group of like 12 to 15 that we lead these groups online or in person, but we're training others and we are having, you know, are having those. So just trying to get the information out there. So know that that it truly is our mission and to get that information to you and to help you connect purpose and attitude and investigation and variety and energy, along with nutrition, exercise, stress, sleep, social connection, so that you can be as, um, as happy and healthy as possible and to thrive through menopause and long beyond, long beyond.
0: Well, that's our show. Come on back next week when I sit down with two-time Olympian, bronze medalist, sprinter, model, and business owner, Jenny Stout, who you also may remember played Rebel the Gladiator on the hit show, The Gladiators. We talk all about all of that, as well as her journey, including some of her struggles through menopause and hormone therapy, which she has been quite public about. I love this conversation, and I am certain you will too. So come on back for that one. And until then... As always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Menopause. And please help us spread the word, screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at feisty menopause. Share the show with your friends and please subscribe, like, review and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening and as always, stay feisty.